Well, as we continue our journey in the book of Job, we will be in chapter 25 today. Job 25. As we continue this idea of dealing with adversity, and Sunday school was going to be entitled, well, I guess it is still entitled, Remembering in Affliction. And, uh, but we will take a, a quick detour as we look at some things in chapter 25 before we get down to some of those other things that... Uh, just as I was studying, I just felt led to uh, talk about how a man can be just before God. That's a question that Bildad asks here. It's been said there are two kinds of speakers. Those who have something to say and those who have to say something. So Job's friends fall into the latter category, I think. Uh, they weren't very beneficial. Though they felt they had something to say, it appears they have exhausted their accusations and their arguments here in this chapter as we close out uh, their discussion or their discourse with Job. Bildad is the final one here to speak, and he doesn't present anything new. Uh, Nothing of significance has changed here in in his argument. He just simply argues uh, the greatness of God, which is God is great. uh, But he does pose a question here, how can... Uh, a man be innocent before God or be justified with God. And so let's look at Job 25. We'll read the entirety of the chapter, all six verses, and then we'll pray. Job 25, then answered Bildad the Shuhite and said, Dominion and fear are with him. He maketh peace in his high places. Is there any number of his armies? And upon whom doth his light arise? How then can man be justified with God? Or how can he be clean that is born of a woman? Behold, even to the moon, and it shineth not. Yea, the stars are not pure in his sight. How much less man that is a worm, and the son of man which is a worm. Heavenly Father, we do thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to gather together here. Father, we do ask now that you'd bless the Sunday school hour. I pray that you would be preeminent in this place. Lord, bless each teacher. I pray that as the word of God goes forth, that you'd be glorified in it, Lord, and that you'd draw men to yourself. And Father, now we just give this hour to you. We pray that you touch and move in lives only as you can. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. So here we are, Bildad's last words, his final words. And uh, look back with me in verse 24, and what Bildad Uh, says here in verse 4, it says, How then can man be justified with God? And and so he opens up the chapter about how great God is and and how magnificent He is and the dominion and and the fear that that God ought to bring, really. And he says this, How then can man be justified with God? Or how can uh, can He be clean that is born of a woman? So the question this morning today is, How can a man be justified with God? We know from previous verses in the book of Job that it is that man cannot do this. There is no righteousness in and of himself. Uh, Job 15, verses 15 and 16. Behold, he putteth no trust in his saints. Yea, the heavens are not clean in his sight. How much more abominable and filthy is man. Look what it says. Which drinketh iniquity like water. Uh, man is... Wretched. Job 14.4 says this, Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? 
It says not one. And so we are, are defiled. Uh, and then in, in our chapter this morning, in verse uh, 6, it says, How much less man that is a worm and the son of man, which is a worm. And I kind of looked up that idea of the, the worm there, and it has more of the idea of a maggot. And uh, it, so when I think of maggots, I think of decaying flesh and just disgusting stuff. And, and so we're just but a worm. We're just a maggot. Uh, most would say it's of very little to no value. And, uh, but what is justification? The question this morning, how then can man be justified with God? We might say being accounted righteous. What is justification? Being accounted righteous, though we are not so. And we'll look at some verses today, and, and I think most of you would understand that, but uh, as it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. The Word of God tells us. But when brought into a justified state, we are treated as, this, as if we are altogether righteous. Whose is this righteousness? Where do we get this righteousness from? Where is it derived from? It's not from ourselves or any remaining excellence in the human nature. Uh, we, we have no good in us, the Word of God tells us. We must be accounted righteousness and justified with God by other merits than our own. Because we're not good enough. Uh, we just don't have it within ourselves. And we owe it to the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are indebted. And so hopefully we can elaborate on this a little bit and you'll understand that this morning. Listen, I want to remind you this morning, we're not righteous by turning over a new leaf in life. Because we've decided we're just going to do better and be a better person and maybe we were a thief in the past and we're not going to do that anymore. We're going to live an honest life. It's not by turning over a new leaf. It's not by being more sincere. That's not how we get righteous. And it's certainly not by works of our own. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, the Word of God tells us. There is nothing that we can do to earn any level of righteousness that would be pleasing to our God. God is, is so mighty. And if you would turn with me to Romans chapter 3, we're going to look at some things uh, as we go through this idea of how can a man be justified with God. <clears throat> well, I told you to turn there. I guess I better do it myself. I didn't put it in my notes here. Romans chapter 3. We'll pick up reading in verse 10. I feel like I've missed part of my notes. I don't know what's going on here. But I think that sometimes, and I start talking, and then I get to it later in my notes. But it's not by works of righteousness which we have done. The Word of God tells us that our righteousness is as filthy rags. The best that we have to offer is not good enough. We need to get a hold of that today. Because... 
even sometimes when we look at some of the things Job writes about, even in the coming chapters here, he almost begins to sound self-righteous because he hasn't done these things. He has been perfect and upright. And we would do well to remember that it's not by anything that we can do. Romans chapter 10, or chapter 3, verse 10, it says here, let's read it. We'll read down through verse 28 or so. It says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. So this morning, that includes you. Not just me. It certainly includes me, but it includes you. Uh, You are not righteous. Uh, There is not one, the word of God tells us. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are all together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher with their tongues. They have seat. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursings and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And so this is the description of man. This is the description of us today. And the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. And so God has given us the law to help us to understand that we are not righteous. Here is God's standard. And boy, we don't measure up when we compare ourselves to what God's standard is. We're not there. And so we have the law. And the Bible tells us it's a schoolmaster. The law brings us to Christ. But uh, anyway, uh, where did I stop? Verse 19. Let's read verse 19. Uh, Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified. Listen, you're not going to be good enough to live. You can live the law the best you can. It's not good enough. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there is no flesh justified in his sight. For the, by, the, by the law is the knowledge of sin. So the law identifies our error. It identifies our transgression. It identifies our sin. And as it is written, there is none. In and of yourselves, you can't make it. You can't come before God. You can't come in his presence, really. So by the law is the knowledge of sin, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifest, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, here it is, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. And I love that, there's no difference. And of course, I know the Apostle Paul here is dealing with, with the Jew and the Gentile, the Jew and the Greek, and, but we need to remember today that, that the gospel that, The work of Christ is available to all. There's no difference. God loves everybody. Sometimes we sing those songs and... Let me back up. I don't want to say that here. I don't know if that would be what the Lord would have. But I will say this. Sometimes we sing those songs. Jesus loves the little children. Not everybody. But we hold things in our heart that are otherwise or contrary to that. And we need to be careful. Um, racism is real, um, and there's things. I know people that won't witness to certain types of people because of the type of person or, or their, their background, their race. Listen, God says there's no difference. He loves them just as much as he loves you. And so for us to make a difference is wrong. 
in that. Verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Listen, we're all sinners. We don't often want to admit that. But if we're honest with ourselves and we're honest with a holy God, we will come to the conclusion that we're a sinner. Even if the worst thing you've ever done is a lie, that's sin. And there's a punishment for that sin. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ. Praise God, there's an answer. Whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remissions of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say at this time, His righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. So there it is. We could stop here, but we won't. I got more notes. Um, It says we might be just through the justifier of him because we believe in Christ. So can a man be just with God? Yes. But not of our own. It must be through Christ and believing in Christ and his finished perfect work on the cross. Whereas boasting then, it is excluded by what law of works? Nay, but by the faith, or the law of faith, excuse me. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified, right? So we can be justified, but how? By faith, and here I want you to get this this morning, without the deeds of the law. We can be justified before God of no merit of our own, but because of what Christ has done in our stead. For the wages of sin is death, the word of God tells us. Romans 4 continues the idea of justification by faith. Uh, We won't take the time to to read that this morning, but it reminds us of the faith of Abraham and the faith of David and how their faith was imputed unto them as what? Righteousness. And we see this in Romans chapter 4 and verses 24 and 25. It says, but for us also... To whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. Who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. So we can be justified before God through Christ. He died in our place. Chapter 5, this is really one of my favorite uh, passages in Scripture, we'll look at verses 1 through 9 in Romans 5. Therefore, being justified by faith. Look at what it says here. We have peace with God. Listen, we were enemies of God before Christ. But once we put on Christ, once we put our faith in Christ, we can have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, and not only so, but we glory in tribulation. And I thought this is so fitting today. We glory in tribulation. We're talking about Job going through a life of affliction. All this adversity that Job's facing. And in Romans says that we can glory in tribulation. Look what it says. Knowing that tribulation worketh patience... And patience, experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not a shame, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength, in due time, look at what Christ did for us. Christ died for the ungodly. 
For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a man, or a good man, some would even dare to die. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible, but God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, so it's by Christ, by the blood of Christ, that we can be justified before God, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. Boy, we are now no longer condemned in Christ. And you can't tell because I'm from the West and we get excited this way. I, I'm... But if I was from down South Georgia, perhaps, or something like that, you might see me run a lap here because that's exciting because I couldn't do it. Listen, I'll never forget the day that I learned that I was a sinner and I deserved to go to the lake of fire for eternity. But that same day, I also learned that there was a Savior that took my place. And when I put my faith in him, he saved me. And we ought to live like that. So this morning, this is the Sunday school class. Many of you, I believe, are probably believers. I'll make the assumption. But I won't make the assumption that everyone is. Because there are some good Baptists that I think will go to hell because they never turn to Christ and Christ alone. But we are still taught to live a righteous life, are we not? Romans 6 continues on, Romans 6, 11 through 13, it says, Likewise reckon ye also yourselves dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Christ Jesus our Lord. So now that we are in Christ, now if you have trusted Christ, if you've received Christ as your Savior, boy, we're called into a different type of life. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead in your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. So now in Christ, we ought to be yielding ourselves to the Spirit, in, in allowing God to bring us along. <clears throat> Verse 18 in chapter 6 says this, Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. We ought to be serving righteousness in, in, in our new life, the Bible says. But Romans 6, 23, I'll remind you, I quoted it a moment ago, for the wages of sin is death. So sin, the wage, or what you deserve for sin is death, and that's talking about the second death. The lake of fire for eternity. That's what our sin has earned us. Don't forget the last part of Romans 6.23, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So God must deal with sin. And he has, by the way. It's finished in Christ. The perfect Lamb of God, slain for each and every one of us. We understand salvation or justification before God is only achieved through faith in the perfect, complete work of Christ. 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ also hath once suffered for sins. Look what it says. The just 
for the unjust, that's us, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. And so Christ took our payment or our punishment. Uh, He died in our place. And so to answer Bildad's question here in verse 4, when he says, how then can man be justified with God? It's through Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ alone. It's not by the works of the law. It's not by you joining Liberty Baptist Tabernacle. It's not because you stir the waters of baptism. But it's only through faith in Christ. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, right? So we believe unto righteousness. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And I know very, very familiar scripture here, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace are you saved through faith. Not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works. Lest any man should boast, God is not going to let anybody glory in his presence. And so it's by the work of Christ. And so this morning, I urge you today, if you don't know Christ, turn to him in faith. You are a sinner. And outside of Christ, you will spend eternity in the devil's hell. And so you must turn to Christ to be saved today. Listen, your sins have separated you from God and only through Christ can you be redeemed. John 3, 18, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Later on in that chapter, in verse 36, it says this, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life but the wrath of God abideth on him. This morning, if you don't know Christ, I beg of you to come to him. Job's friends offered a lot of accusations, but never really any solutions, really. We talked a little bit about, I think it was last week, about acquaint yourself with with the Almighty, I believe is what the, the, the pastor said. But they were just there to throw stones, really. We live in a world where we're surrounded by people that don't know. How shall they hear without a preacher? And by the way, as a believer, you're sent forth to preach the gospel. That's the responsibility of every believer. We're not supposed to go forward and Preach our opinion. Share with them that it's, this is the right church to attend. Now there's a place and a time for those things. But the primary message of the believer ought to be to share the gospel of Christ. And, and if somebody gets saved and they truly believe on Christ and, and, and they're made a new creature, that's when the Holy Spirit will begin working in their life and he can help get some of those confusions sorted out. Uh, Don't try to sort them out before they receive Christ. The natural man receiveth not the things. And so our primary message ought to be to share Christ. I'm sure all of us could give testimonies of times you failed. 
And it pains me to go back and think of times where I feel like the Holy Spirit was urging me to share the gospel and I didn't. In this place, as a church, and I know there's visitors here today, but, but if you're in Christ, the, the same thing applies to you. But for our church family, I want you to understand, we don't ever want to be accused of not being obedient to what God has. If God burdens your heart to share the gospel, I believe you'll be held accountable if you don't. There's, there's script. We won't get into all that today, but there's scripture that, that says that. Is the primary purpose of your life to share the gospel? As a believer, it ought to be. You go to work, provide for your family, keep the home, certainly attend church, go to family reunions, get involved in the community, whatever the case may be, but everything in your life ought to be focused on you sharing the gospel. So when you go to work, do you share the gospel with the coworker? Listen, there are people out there in our community that are asking that question. Can a man be justified with God? Now, they're not saying it in those terms. They're not coming to you at your desk at work saying, boy, Justin, I just don't know. Can I be justified before God? Nobody ever did that to me the entire 21 years I was in the Air Force. But I did share the gospel many times because other people did come to me and say, Man, I'm having a rough time in life. Oh, really? And it was an opportunity to share Christ. Amen. They're searching. They don't necessarily know what for. They don't know all of our terms. Salvation by grace through faith and all those types of things. They might not ask that, but their heart is yearning. And... It, we're not going to make it to that in our lesson, but in, in chapter 27, yeah, 27, I believe, maybe 26, uh, Job begins to talk about the awesomeness of God. Listen, the creation is revealed to them that there is a God. And so now they may deny that because nobody wants to admit that because then they're accountable to a creator. There's whole theories built on that that are taught as facts, but... So the following chapters here in Job are his response or what the scriptures call it in chapter 27 and verse 1, a parable, and I believe chapter 29 in verse 1, it uses the parable as Job responds to Bildad here. And uh, so we're not going to get through this lesson. I'm hoping to make it, uh, I'm going to skip a portion of this and then hopefully tie a bow on this thing, but... I just felt burdened to share the gospel today. And so if you don't know Christ, there's no other way. There's none other way under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Turn to Christ today. If you're one of those people that's asking, seeking, Christ is the answer. But as as Job begins to reply... He remembers the awesomeness of God in these verses here. In chapter 26, But Job answered and said, How hast thou helped him that is without power? How savest thou the arm that hath no strength? How hast thou counseled him that hath no wisdom? And how hast thou plentifully declared the things as it is? 
To whom hast thou uttered words and whose spirit came from thee? Dead things are formed from under the waters and inhabitants thereof. And so <clears throat> he kind of opens up here uh, questioning how that they had tried to help and comfort him. Uh, as we looked at before, they were miserable comforters, the word of God tells us. But then he goes into this very amazing and vivid, accurate, we can even say scientifically accurate description of our God. Uh, verses 6 uh, through 14 in, in chapter 26. Hell is naked before him, and destruction hath no covering. He stretches out the north over the empty place, and hangeth the earth upon nothing. Did you know that was in the Bible before all these clowns thousands of years ago had questions about that? He hung it in nothing. It's there. The Bible's critically important. We need to read it. Uh, he bindeth up the waters in his thick clouds, and the cloud is not rent under them. He holdeth back the face of his throne and spreadeth his uh, cloud upon it. He hath compassed the waters with bounds until the day and night come to an end. The pillars of heaven tremble and are astonished at his reproof. He divideth the sea with his power, and by his understanding he smiteth through the proud. By his spirit he hath garnished the heavens. His hands hath formed the crooked serpent. Lo, these are the parts of his ways, but how little a portion is heard of him, heard him, heard of him. But the thunder of his power, who can understand? Verse 7 there, it says, He stretcheth out the north over the empty place and hangeth the earth upon nothing. For thousands of years, many scientists believed that some kind of firm held up the earth. Um, the Egyptians believed the earth was flat and was held up by giant pillars. One at each corner. Uh, the Greeks taught that the world was balanced on the back of a giant named Atlas. When you talk about how people think we're nuts for believing in God, in the, how much faith does that take? What's Atlas standing on? Anyway, but here's another one. But if you look at the, the Hindu, some of the mythology in Hindu, uh, the earth rests on an elephant and the elephant on a tortoise. And so for us to be ridiculed as believers of a creator, an intelligent design creator, who's really the goofball here? You have to ask the question, where'd Atlas come from? Where'd the tortoise, where'd the elephant come from, right? They don't, they don't really have answers for that. Um, and these, these ideas are very, were very prominent for a long time. And then, I, I don't know, this is how, Cernipicus, he kind of formulated the idea of the, mod, the modern model of the universe and how the sun is the center and then the, the, the planets revolve around that. And Galileo championed his, his argument until the, uh, uh, the Roman Inquisition and they basically forced him to recant and put him in house arrest, I think, for the rest of his life uh, because they were just teaching things that even though they didn't necessarily line up with the Bible, what they were saying and what they were observing was, hey, this thing's just hanging out there. That was in the book of Job long before. Listen, these so-called geniuses of our day, <laughs> Lord help us. The geniuses of today say that we're some cosmic accident. 
I mean, how much faith does that take? Let's, let's be honest. You know, I, I heard the argument one time, you know, and it, it's interesting because our church has a print press. You know, if the print press explodes, a dictionary is not going to pop out. You know, this Big Bang Theory that creates life and all this organized matter. And so, listen, all I'm trying to tell you this morning, we're not the goofs. And the reality is they're just trying to reject the fact that there is a creator, that there is a God, and they're denying that. Uh, it, whether it's whatever, the Hindus, the Greeks, or just the fact that we just, bang, here we are. They're just denying the fact that God has created us all. I want to remind you, I think Job is, it is considered the oldest book. So this stuff was written long before any of these guys came around. God has the answers. And I just want to say this, it's imperative that we get into the Word of God. When your life is consumed with Scripture, it's easy to identify error. Because the world's going to sell it as something, it's going to seem logical and it's going to make some sense. But if you have the word of God in your heart and the Holy Spirit teaching you all truth, boy, when people bring those things up that, man, it, it sounds pretty reasonable, the Bible will raise a red flag in your mind go, wait a second. I remember reading in the book of Job where God just hung this thing in the middle of nothing because he's God and he can and so we serve an awesome God, and Job just begins to remember that as he goes through trials. Our God is an awesome God. We often get criticized for believing in the Creator. But I think their issue is not believing in a Creator per se. It's believing Jesus is the Creator. Man is rejecting the idea that there is a God and that, oh boy, and that Jesus exists and he's the only way. They don't want to accept that. And like I said, they'll come up with all different kinds of ways to justify why they believe or why we're here. And they'll just avoid the fact that there is a God. It's just an effort to deny the existence of a creator. They don't want to be held accountable. Colossians 1, 15 through 19, who is the image of the invisible God? The firstborn of every creature, for by him were all things created that were in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. So you continue to live because of him anyway. Uh, John 1, 1 through 3, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So it's just man's effort to deny Christ. But we have these scriptures that give us so much that remind us of the truth. Psalm 19, 1 through 3, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth and unrighteousness because that which uh, may be known of God is manifest in them for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, 
being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. Look at what it says here. So that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imagination. Their foolish heart was darkened. And in that same passage, we see the, the, the verse that talks about professing themselves wise, they became fools. They're denying the existence of a God. Listen, this morning there is a God. You were created by God. I can say that without any doubt in my mind because I've experienced God. People will call me crazy for that. But I believe that there is a God. And this morning, if you don't know Christ, you need Jesus. Because the Creator is holy and righteous. And He will deal with sin. He will judge sin. And the result of that, as we've mentioned earlier, is the lake of fire. We're going to have to close for today. And as i got a couple minutes, I just want to remind you of this. Oftentimes we just wonder why God lets us go through bad things. Boy, why does God allow sin in the world? Why is there, you know? Well, we sin. We brought sin into the world. Mankind did. But I want to remind the believer today, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. This verse does not say that God causes everything to be good in your life. It doesn't say that everything that happens to us is good because it's not. Bad things do happen to us. And it doesn't always turn out good for everyone involved. It may. It does say that God causes good to come out of all things, however. But you can't look at verse 28 without understanding verse 29. Because sometimes our assessment of what good is That means we're content, we're happy, we don't have adversity in our life. But verse 29 says, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. And here's what it is, to be conformed to the image of his son. And so God does allow bad things to happen in our lives as believers. To bring us along, to make us more like Christ. Listen, Satan wants us... To use our suffering to se- he wants to use our suffering to separate us from God, to separate us from our faith in God. But God wants to use it to make us more like Jesus. Uh, Bible promises ought to take on a whole new and powerful meaning when we personalize them. I encourage you to write down your problems in life and finish the sentence with, "I know that blank is working together for my good." Even though you don't understand it, in faith, just trust him. Let's pray.